John chapter 20 this morning, please. I was contractually obligated to take a step away from John last week so I, I could preach a Mother's Day sermon. So we are returning to the gospel according to John this morning. As a reminder, we are now in the chapter where Jesus has resurrected victoriously from the grave. He has appeared first to Mary Magdalene and then the other ladies that were present there at the sepulcher. They go and run and tell the disciples. And over in Luke it says that their words seem like idle tales unto them. They believe them not. So the disciples aren't believing. Well, they're meeting again that evening. Or they're together that evening. Maybe I should say that. And Jesus shows up. Aren't you glad Jesus shows up? They were in fear. And yet Jesus showed up in the midst of their fiery furnace. And He speaks peace unto them. He spoke peace into their fears. They saw His hands. They saw His side. They were glad. And their unbelief turned into faith. And before we move on to something new, I just want to remind you that only Jesus can give you true peace in this life. And for the life that is awaiting us on the other side. Only Jesus has that to offer us. That's why somebody can say, one way or the other, I will be just fine. Why? Because Jesus gives us peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. His is a peace which passes all understanding. Do you have that peace with God today? Do you have peace with God? Well, for today, I'd like to read verses 19 through 31 as we did last week. The Bible says, beginning in John chapter 20 and verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sin ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. Well, we left off in verse 21 last time, and I want to pick back up there in the second half of verse 21, where... Jesus is giving His disciples what we commonly call the Great Commission. And He tells them in the last half of verse 21, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. 
Now, you'll probably be familiar that all the gospel accounts begin to wind down with the Great Commission of some sort. They're worded differently, same commission. Here's what they say. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then Mark's account reads, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Luke 24, 47, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So that's the four accounts of the Great Commission. And when we piece those together, we can easily see seven things that jump out at us concerning the Great Commission. Number one is this, Christ has all power. That's an amen statement. Christ has all power. Amen. And number two, we are commissioned by Christ. Number three, we are to go into all the world. Number four, we are to proclaim the gospel to all by preaching repentance and the remission of sins through Christ. Number five, we are to baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Number six, we are to teach believers to observe all that Christ commanded. And number seven, Christ is always with us. And so what we find here is Jesus has offered peace to the disciples. They're in fear, they're unbelieving. He offers them peace and then He gives this command, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And it's like Jesus is saying, as as I have given you peace, now I want you to go and let others know that they can have peace as well. In other words, the peace that God gives us is not a peace that we're to keep to ourselves. But we're to share that to other people. We are to go out into the world and let them know that they can experience peace with God because Jesus Christ shed His blood, suffered and died upon the cross, was buried and rose again, making reconciliation between God and man, and you too can have that peace. We're to go out and let the world know that. Now, if you're here this morning and you've ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? This is it. This is it. When all is said and done, this is God's will for every one of us in Christ. But so often we get concerned about all these finer details. Especially when we're younger. I can remember being there and wanting to know what God was going to do with my life post-military and all these kind of things. and We get concerned about those to the point, though, if we're not careful, we'll stop doing the things that are already clearly revealed in God's Word that He says to be doing. And here we know that we are to be going into the world preaching Christ. This is important to hear because there are some that will say, God is calling me to preach, but they won't even proclaim the gospel to those closest to them. There will be some, God's calling me to the mission field, but you won't even go to your neighbor. Is everybody okay this morning? We're just getting warmed up, amen? Oh, God's called me to go to China and reach the lost for Christ. Have you gone to your neighbor? How are you going to go to a foreign country where you don't know the language, you don't know all the culture, and, you don't, and yet you can't even go across the street to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? 
Some say God is calling them to lead a ministry in the church. And they're not even faithful to church. Well, since everyone's so excited, let me go ahead and hit this one while I'm here, and it has nothing to do with the message. Well, if God were to allow me to run into a bunch of money, this is how I'd use it for the church. No, probably not, because if you're not giving to the church with what you have now, you're not going to give with what you have later. I don't know if it's the bluegrass, but this is good preaching. you got to be found faithful in little before God is going to entrust you with more. So stop looking at what you hope to do one day and just focus on what God has already said to do. And I can promise you from my own personal experience, it will work out. And at the heart of it all, the Lord has commanded us to proclaim His gospel to everyone. And we're not to be selective. We're not to look at somebody and go, well, I think they'll listen. Well, that person scares me. We're not to make assumptions. We're not to look at somebody and say, well, I don't know, they just don't look the part. We are to preach the gospel to every creature. Everybody. What this means, listen, we're to be bold. Not ugly, not rude, not not cocky. Confident that we have the message that the world needs. We have the answers. We have been commissioned by the highest authority there is. The Almighty Creator God has said to His children, Go! Therefore, there is no institution upon this earth which supersedes God's will for your life. So the military says, I can't, I can't pray in Christ's name. You pray in Christ's name. Well, they say, I can't witness. You witness. Listen, I'm not one of those guys. Some people say, well, they're paying you to work. work it. Listen, if the door opens of opportunity to witness somebody, you go through it. Who knows if that's when God's really dealing with them. You be obedient to the Holy Spirit in your life and you take those opportunities and you give them the gospel. Why? Because this is what we have been called to do. We are ambassadors in a foreign land proclaiming the good news from our heavenly country. This, is, this thought this morning, this is at the very heart of God. This is the heartbeat of heaven. This is why Jesus came and suffered and bled and died. Our choir, I love when they sing, Jesus saves, and it says, hear the heart of heaven beating, Jesus saves. Luke 15, 7, it says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Just let that sink in. Heaven and all of its hosts, heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to Christ for salvation. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be the church this morning that is making heaven joyful. And for that to happen, we have to be on an individual level people that are wanting to make heaven joyful. We have to get out of our comfort zone and we have to tell people about Christ. Jesus said here in our text, As my Father sent me, even so send I you. What was Jesus sent by God to do? Well, in Luke 5.32, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why Christ came and Jesus says, So send I you. 
We are now to go and seek for the lost. We are now to call them to repentance. You have one primary objective in this life. And it's not to be a great businessman. It's not to be a great military strategist. It is not to be the best musician or singer you can be. It is not to be a great medical professional, to be a great teacher. Whatever career you want to throw in there, that's not your primary purpose. God may allow you to do those things and praise God if He does, but your primary purpose is to go out into the world and fulfill the Great Commission. That is the primary objective of every born-again child of God. Well, preacher, you sound pretty dogmatic. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a great scholar. No. Follow me and I'm going to teach you how to cast out demons. Follow me and I'll teach you how to open blinded eyes and even raise the dead. No. Jesus said, I've got one primary reason for calling you. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. That is the purpose, that is the reason, that is why we are here today, and that's why we don't dunk you, drown you, and send you on to heaven. Amen. Because God has a purpose for your life. And He says, I want you to get a fishing pole, I've given you the bait, and you've got to go out there, and you have got to catch souls for my kingdom. Jesus did not suffer, bleed, and die to make you great in the world's eyes. There are plenty of people in this world who are great in the world's eyes and they've made billions. And they are as lost as a blind white goose flying north in a snowstorm. It is not about being great in the world's eyes. It is about being great in God's eyes. And the only way we're going to do that is by being obedient to tell people about Christ. He died to save you. And then in turn for you to go out and reach others. Sunday school teachers, this is why you teach that lesson. Preachers, this is why you preach those messages. This is why we run our vans. This is why we print the Word of God. This is why we have an academy. What are we doing? We're trying to catch souls. We're trying to see the lost come to know Christ as their Savior. Now, I know this is a basic message so far, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of the basics. Amen, coach? Sometimes we've got to go back and just remember what the main thing is. And what's the main thing? This is the main thing. So how many of you are going about this morning fulfilling the Great Commission? How many of you are actively reaching out to another? How many of you are fervently praying for someone to be saved? Not just a quick hit Wednesday night prayer. I mean fervent throughout the week, heavy on your heart. And I believe this thought ties well into our theme for this year. We need to go into Jerusalem and fill it with our doctrine. Our Jerusalem, Rapid City, and the area around it. Now, this isn't meant as a rebuke but a challenge. How many of you have been handing out our church cards? Again, I'm just trying to challenge us to a a greater effort. And I'm preaching to myself. 
we've got to do more. We cannot just settle for mediocrity or even less, I'm afraid. We've got to be about the Father's business. We've got to do what Christ sent us in the world to do. You understand the Christian life isn't just coming in here. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? This is really our rallying point. This is where we come together and we just, we motivate, we exhort, we encourage. We say, get back out there and get at it. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So are you trying actively to win souls? Not that you can save them. We understand that. Only Christ is able to save, and He'll save to the uttermost. Amen? James 5.20 says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. The greatest thing we can do as Christians in this life is to rescue a soul from a devil's hell for all eternity. I mean, do we believe that's in the book? Do we believe that the fate of the lost is an eternity separated from God? If we believe that, then we ought to be more motivated in what we're doing. There's no greater calling, there's no greater service, and this is the pinnacle of the Christian life. And I wonder, has anybody in here ever been a part of leading someone to Christ? Have you ever witnessed a sinner bow their head in prayer and cry out to God to save them from their sins? Maybe even, I could just put it this way, are you even witnessing at all? Maybe you are, but you're not seeing the results you would like. We understand ultimately all we can do is plant and water, and we have to trust God for the increase, but are you watering? Are you watering with tears? Psalm 125, 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know what that verse said? It said, doubtless. It will happen. Sow the precious seed of the Word of God everywhere you go. Sow it in tears. And we ought to be heartbroken over the fact that there is lost people out there on their way to hell without Christ. That ought to break our heart and we ought to weep over the lost. And if we'll be broken and if we'll weep, then doubtless we will come again bringing our sheaves with us. You say, but that sounds like it's going to take a lot of work. Yes, it will. God doesn't bring a harvest unless we put forth the labor. Amen? You just can't go out there and look at the field and hope that a crop comes up. you got to till the soil. you got to plant the seed. you got to water it. you got to work. And even then, it doesn't come up right away. Isn't that right? There's a, there's, a, there's a growing period there. There's things that are happening beneath the ground. And then it takes time even after it begins to sprout till you start seeing fruit. It's a process. It takes work. But 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Just keep at it. Keep doing it. It's work and you may not be seeing the results, but just keep working because your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
Maybe we're not laboring hard enough. 2 Chronicles 15.7 says, Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Yes, it's work, but it's rewarding. And it's a work that is rewarded. Keep working. Keep tilling. Keep planting. Keep watering. Don't give up. Paul said, I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. You know what Paul's saying? I put forth the labor necessary. I become all things to all men that I might save some. Are you putting forth the labor necessary? And listen, we ought to expect some suffering along the way. As God sent Christ, so Christ sends us. What did they do to Christ? Here's Christ sent from God. They rejected Him. Then they took the body of our Lord Jesus and they scourged Him. They beat Him. Nailed Him to a cross. They killed Him, if I can put it that way. We know He laid down His own life for us. But they wanted His body dead. There's going to be some sufferings along the way because now we are called the body of Christ. And what they did to Christ's body, we can expect the world to want to do the same to us. And whenever we endeavor to fulfill this great commission, there was never a promise that it was going to be easy. Paul said in Galatians 6.17, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And he sure did. He did so literally. He also said in 2 Corinthians 4.10-12, that he was always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Jesus said in Matthew 10.16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. It'll take labor. There'll be some sufferings along the way. But we have to stay with it. But what if... What if I become wounded? I'm a little concerned of what's going to happen to me. Would you go back and read Hebrews 12, 3 and 4, which tells us to consider Him which endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds? Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You understand, none of us in here, no matter what happens, are ever going to suffer as much as Christ did. He died not only to save you, but also to use your life to reach others. It's worth the labor. It's worth the suffering. It's worth the effort and the hours and all the prayer time. It is worth it all. We have a higher calling in Christ. You may keep your job, but your purpose changes in Christ. You are there to be a light and to be salt and to be a witness and to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Well, we could end there, I guess. I got half a mind to, but I really wanted to get through verse 23. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. You know, if God tells us to do something, He gives us the means to do it. He gives us the strength to do it. And the help that He gives us is Himself. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. In John 14, 16, just a few days before this night, you'll remember Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, 
even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. (laughs) God manifested himself in the person of Christ. Christ comes to dwell within us in the person of the Holy Ghost. The child of God has God dwelling in them. Whoop. And He is all we need to accomplish the work that He's called us to do. When God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, Adam could not fulfill what God had for him to do until God breathed into him and made Adam a living soul. And once he became a living soul, he was then able to do what God had put him on this earth to do. And that was to take dominion, to subdue, to cultivate, to multiply after he became a living soul. But what happened? In Adam, we all sinned. We inherited Adam's sin nature. God said after Adam transgressed that one day, there would come a promised seed. Fast forward to a man named Abram, whose name meant high father, but after God made a promise to Abram that he would become the father of a multitude of nations, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham meaning that the Gentiles would be included as well. Now, to get that, you really have to say those names like a Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew except when I make coffee. (laughs) Well, at least you're awake, amen. You got to say it like a Hebrew to get the effect, so bear with me, I'm not a Hebrew. His name was Abram but it becomes Abraham. That ha, Abraham. It's what is called in Hebrew the the ruah. It's the breath. It's like a wind, Abraham. You kind of got to push your breath out when you say it. You see, there was going to be life through Abraham. The promised seed was going to come through Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Lord, He was going to be a blessing to all nations. There was life. And here are these disciples, and they have Christ breathe on them. Now they have life. The the Holy Ghost has uh, indwelt them. And so what are we seeing here? Just as God formed Adam, breathed into him, made him a living soul. We, We fell in Adam. Sin, we're sinners by birth, we're in enmity with God, but in Christ, what happens? And by the way, who is Christ? He's the last Adam. And so in Christ, we become what? A new creature. We are reformed, if you will, and then God breathes into us, and our spirit is quickened. We are made alive in Christ, and the Holy Ghost moves inside. Galatians 3:29 says, If you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, without the Spirit of God, we are none of His. Without His Spirit, we do not share in His life. We are not joint heirs. We are not part of His body. We have not been justified. And we are still in our sins. So that sounds pretty serious. How do I know if I have the Spirit dwelling within me? You'll know because Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You'll know it because there's fellowship between the spirits. 
And so these men, they are now enabled by God's Spirit to do what God has called them to do to fulfill the Great Commission. And likewise, we who are in Christ have been enabled to reach others. So stop giving excuses why you can't. Well, I'm just not a good preacher. Or maybe a good speaker, I should say. I've heard all of you speak. You speak just fine. Nice try. Well, I'm just not that smart. I don't doubt that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just not that smart. I don't know much of the Bible. Do you know what Christ did for you? That's all you really have to share. You see, we don't have to be great theologians. It's the Holy Spirit working through us which has equipped us to witness to others. All we are really doing is lifting up Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work of drawing souls unto Christ. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So we just lift up Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Verse 23, and we'll close with this verse. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Well, this is an odd sounding verse, isn't it? It is one that has given rise to a lot of false teaching. The Catholic Church will tell you this is the verse, this is the reason. Why you need to go confess your sins to a priest that he may tell you you're forgiven and then give you the penance you need to do in order to receive sacramental graces. What? That's not what this is saying. So what is this saying then? This verse, I'm, I'm going I'm to bottom line it and I'm going to build on it and I'll come back and bottom line it. The bottom line, this verse is simply telling us this. We are sent forth. This is all part of the Great Commission, by the way. We are sent forth to preach with authority the way of forgiveness through Christ and we are to declare the consequences when people reject Christ. All right, when this verse says they are remitted and they are retained, for those who know what this means, it's written in the past perfect, which means what is being said here has already happened. Meaning this, because it has already happened, it's in the past, the apostles were not commissioned to go out and have the authority to forgive people's sins because that's already been done through Christ. What we are waiting on is for people to accept that free gift of salvation. Is everybody with me? So you understand what's being said here so far. Um, this is in the past. The work of redemption has already been completed in Christ. The sinner is already born in sin. And so this isn't anybody having the power, uh, the power to grant salvation to any, and it's not anybody having the authority to damn anybody to hell. By the way, those two things only belong to God. Amen. Amen. This verse speaks of whosoever, which of course means whosoever. Amen. That's deep, amen? The penalty... For whosoever has already been paid. Who do we preach to? We preach to whosoever. We're preaching to every creature, all of mankind. But as we preach to whosoever, there's going to be two different responses, right? There's going to be one that says, I receive Christ and His free gift of salvation. There's going to be another that says, I reject Christ and His free gift of salvation. What are we going to say to those who receive Christ? And what are we going to say to those who reject Christ? Well, this verse is the answer. 
to those who receive Christ for his salvation, we declare unto them, your sins are forgiven. And we do so with confidence, authority, knowing that's what God has done and his word says. But those who reject Christ, we declare that they are still in their sins. And this verse is really that simple. We are to declare the message of God, and when people genuinely want forgiveness for their sin by seeking after Christ, then we take the keys to the kingdom of heaven, kind of the sister verse to these, that is causing a lot of problems in different religions. We take the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we unlock to them the way of salvation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. On the flip side, there will be those who say, no, I don't want salvation in Christ. Well, guess what? We don't look at that person and say, well, if you want to find another way to heaven, then God bless you, go ahead. No, 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 that's not what we say. But we're a two-edged sword and we have to look at them and say, your sins are retained. And the wrath of God abideth on you. If you die without Christ, that sentence of God's wrath is going to be executed. And that's what this is talking about. We are to preach Christ and be authoritative in what we declare. And so we're to look at that one who rejects Christ and say, no, you don't understand. You're still in your sin because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And if you lead someone to Christ and they really do business with God and they are genuine in placing their faith in Christ, then we declare unto them, your sins have been forgiven and we call them brother or sister, whichever is the case. They are now in the family of God. Amen, how exciting. And to prove that to you, when Ananias was told by the Lord, go to Saul, Saul who had been persecuting and killing the church, Ananias kind of says, Lord, do you know who this guy was, is? God says, well, you know, I've got a purpose for him, blah, blah, blah. Well, when Ananias shows up to Saul, what does he say? He says, brother Saul. We welcome them into the family. We say their sins are forgiven. And so this is all about speaking the message of Christ with authority and no variableness. We welcome those in who are forgiven, but we remind those who stay without, you are heading for a devil's hell. It's like when Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Pisidia. They preached Christ. They said, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas, they go into this town and they go to the Jews and they start to pray. Uh, they start to preach. Guess what? Moses can't save you. That's pretty bold. That's pretty authoritative. That's making sure people understand what the message is. Well, they were filled with envy and they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul. The Bible says contradicting and blaspheming. And then in Acts 13.46, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should have first been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's an example of John 20.23. 20, we have shown you clearly the way of salvation. It's in Christ alone. That's the only way for the forgiveness of your sins. The law can't save you. Being good can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Church membership can't save you. We lay it out there plain and clear. And if they reject it, we say, your sins are retained. You've counted yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Amen. This is what we are sent to do. This is part of the Great Commission. Preach Christ and speak the truth of God's Word. 
And by the way, that's what you'll find throughout the book of Acts. They preached Christ. Nobody was coming to them confessing their sins. They said, you need to go to God. You need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you. It's beneficial to read Mark's account to understand this verse. Remember that the Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible. Amen. I love some of the commentaries that are out there, but the Bible is always your safest bet. The Great Commission in Mark says, and again, we're talking about the same thing John's saying. It's just said a little bit different. Listen to what Mark said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, John 20, 23, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, which is the same as Mark saying, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained, which is the same as Mark saying, He that believeth not is damned. It's the exact same great commission. So please don't overcomplicate this verse is what I'm saying. But please go out of here and fulfill this verse. Preach Christ with boldness. Speak the truth in love. But be honest. Be honest about what happens when we reject Christ. Be honest about what takes place when we receive Christ. We've seen in verses 21 through 23 that Jesus gives His disciples His presence. He then offers them His peace. He gives them their purpose. And then He gives them the power to accomplish His purposes. So as I close, I want to ask you, are you active in the Great Commission this morning? Let's pray.